Good morning. Oh, sounds like we woke up now. That's good. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm uh, going to be talking with you today. We're going to be in Second uh, Peter. If you got the uh, free Bibles that we give out, that's going to be on page uh, 938. Uh, but if you were here last week and you got to hear what I tried to say last week, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was uh, very nervous. I've been a long time since I had been up here, and I couldn't really get the point out that I was trying to get to. But I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of it today to catch you up to speed because we're kind of moving on from what we talked about last week into another section um, this week in Second Peter. So, last week... I was trying to get across that Peter's main message in the part of the scripture that we looked at, the beginning part of chapter 1, was for us to remember. That was the theme. He wanted us to remember about what God, really who God is and what God had done in our lives up to that point. Uh, Peter, if we look at uh, the first verse in chapter 1, he tells us who's writing it. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. And Peter starts off by remembering. He's remembering that he used to be called Simon. That was his name that his parents gave him. But now he's called Peter. Peter is the name that Christ gave him when when Peter was uh, learning under following Jesus in his earthly ministry. So Peter starts off just by remembering, hey, I used to be this stumbling, bumbling idiot. I always did the wrong thing. I acted first. I thought later. But now I'm Peter. I've grown a lot over these years by following Jesus and following what he taught me. And, uh, and now I'm a different person as a result of that. And Peter uh, goes on to say that he is writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. He's writing to other churches in the, uh, in the, er- in the area of what is now modern-day Turkey. And the reason for that is uh, they couldn't be everywhere at once, and traveling was a lot harder back then. So in the churches that they had started, a lot of times they would write these letters to give them information, uh, to encourage them, or even just to uh, fix some problems that, was, that were going on with false teachers starting to teach the wrong thing. And that was the main thing that uh, Peter was trying to address in Second Peter. He said, uh, that I'm, I'm in uh, chapter 2 there and on, he starts dealing directly with the false teaching that's going on. But before he gets there, he's saying, look, if you will just remember what we taught you, if you will just remember who Jesus is, the Son of God, if you will just remember that he died on the cross for your sins, and all you have to do is believe in him, and your faith in Christ uh, gives you forgiveness of all sins. Because you believe he's the Son of God, you believe that he died on the cross for your sins. But that establishes the relationship with God that we're all missing because of sin. So he says, remember all that. If you remember all that, then uh, you will not be distracted. So how do we do that? In uh, uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 19, he emphasizes that we must pay close attention to what they wrote. Who's they? It's the prophets. So what the prophets had written down beforehand, really saying that Jesus was coming. It was a promise that God was making to the people through the prophets. The prophets weren't speaking on their own accord. They were getting a message from God and they were sharing that message with the people. They didn't really understand it even when they were sharing it, that this Messiah, this Savior of the world was coming. His name was going to be Jesus and, and, and all of what that meant when they were making that prophecy. But it came true. God's promise had come true in Peter's time. And Peter got to spend time with that promise, that promise being Jesus. So 
Peter's saying, pay close, close attention to what the prophets are saying because they're speaking for God. All right? So he's saying, focus on Scripture. Focus on what's written. Don't, don't be taken away by the tales of, of uh, some guy who's trying to uh, really get it for or, or get a following for his own prestige or to make money or something like that. He says, keep a close attention, pay close attention to the Scripture. It's like a lamp shining in a dark place. It will lead your way. And so this promise of his son is kind of further explained in uh, chapter 3, if we jumped ahead. Uh, verse 18, uh, Peter says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. All your sins are paid for by what Christ did on the cross. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. To, for what reason? To bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So the whole reason Jesus went to the cross was for you and me. So that he could pay the debt, the, debt the, the wages of sin is death. He paid for our sin with his life. One time for all sins. And, uh, and so we could have that relationship with God. Promised by God and given to us. Already fulfilled. Next uh, promise he gave us was the Holy Spirit. In John 14, uh, Jesus says this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So by having faith in Christ, what you get as a result, one of the things you get is the Holy Spirit. He moves in. He takes up residence in you as your guide by believing in Christ. So all believers get this. It's not a little bit at a time. you got all the Holy Spirit. And uh, he is there to make sure you don't get off track, to make sure that I don't get off track. So that's another promise, promised by God, given to all believers, those who have chosen to believe. And he also promised us something else. This is a promise that hasn't been fulfilled yet, and that's Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return, and he's going to rule over all the earth. Make no mistake, he's already in charge. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's in charge of everything. But for a time, God is waiting. God is waiting for people just like you and me, who have not come to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior yet. They have not asked Jesus for forgiveness of sin because they're still trying to work it out. They're still trying to figure out if they believe in this God thing and how all this works. So in his mercy, God's being patient, and he's waiting on those people that he wants. He wants everybody, really, to come to know him, but he knows what people are going to come to know him. He's waiting on them. So that's a promise, Jesus coming back to rule, that hasn't been fulfilled yet. But it will be. Just like the other ones that he already promised, that he fulfilled, God never goes back on a promise. So Jesus is coming back one day, and everything we see, everything we experience is going to change when we get in the presence, the very presence of the glory of God. So that was last week. Didn't really come out very well in the first service, but that was the point. Remember, remember. Remember now what God has done in your life, and, and remember who he is, and you won't be swayed by these false teachers. All right, so now we're moving into this, this section of Scripture. We're going to start in verse uh, 5 in, in chapter 1 of Second Peter. And the theme for this week is respond. Last week he wanted us to remember where we came from, who God is, and how he works in our life. And now he's telling us to respond. He's showing us how to respond through the next uh, section of Scripture. So let's just read it. Uh, verse 5. In view of all this, make every effort 
to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. So that's all we got to do. Just do all that. Sounds easy, right? <laughs> when I first read this, I threw up my hands. I'm like, oh, great. Now we got another list of all these things we got to do to be good enough. But that's not what this is. See, we can never, ever, on our own, be good enough. The only thing that ever comes out of our life that's good, that's worth anything, is that which is brought about by the power of God. So as we, we're going to break this down, this section here. We're going to break it down step by step and look at what he's really trying to say. It's not a list of all these things you've got to do. And, you know, uh, church is pretty, uh, we've got a pretty good reputation for, like, pointing out what's wrong with you. Because uh, we want to talk about your sins, not really talk about our sins. Because it's a lot easier to talk about what's wrong with you than what's wrong with me. Because uh, if I talk about what's wrong with me, then I've got to work on fixing it, right? Well, what we want to do, what we want to do, is just look at what Peter's saying here and saying, and say, how is this going to help me live a full life? Because that's really God. God, Jesus died on the cross. God sent His Son there so that we could have a fullness of life, an abundance of life. While we, were, while we were still here on earth. Not just so we can get into heaven later. It's so we could have that fullness right here and now. All right, so let's look at it. In the first verse there, it says, In view of all this, because of what God had already done, and he described it uh, in the earlier verses, that by his divine power, by God's divine power, he had already given us everything we need to live a godly life. In view of this, make, uh, we are supposed to make every effort to respond to God's promises. Now, uh, I started to look at, at the wording here uh, as we're breaking this down because it's a little bit confusing. See, when we translate from the Greek, which this was originally written into our English version, sometimes the words that we use don't really have the same meaning as what they originally intended. Our culture is different, too. They would write in uh, ways that their culture would uh, be able to quickly relate to certain things uh, based on the wording that they used. And so for us, we lose a little bit in translation, so that's why we want to break it down. In this first section, we're, we're looking at a couple of main ideas. And that is, uh, first of all, that section that says, make every effort. Or in the NASB, it said... Uh, Applying all diligence in your faith. And really what that means is to, to make haste, to get busy, all right? You've got to do your part. You've got to exert yourself as a believer in your faith, okay? You've got to make, bring your own effort to the table. It's not like God, by His power, is going to just transform you into this uh, person that He wants you to be someday down the road. God wants to work with you day by day, month by month, year by year, to bring that change about. He wants to do that with me. And he's been doing that with me for what going on. It'll be nine years this uh, Christmas Eve. I've been following Jesus. And so he always gives me opportunities to learn more and to apply that in my life. If I only do church on Sunday morning and I listen to what the preacher says, but then I go home and I don't apply any of it, I'm not growing. I'm not 
getting the intent of what God wanted to do here. He says here, bring your own effort forward. Bring your, make your own effort active and energetic in your life to get busy after God, to seek after God. And what he's talking about in verse 3 there, by God's divine power, then God brings his power alongside of yours and boosts what you can do and makes it better. Because we can try to be good. We can try and work at it day after day. And, and you can be good for a while. I can be good for a while. But I always mess up when I'm, when I'm just on my own. The only chance I have of being good is to get God's power working in my life. And, and so I've got to bring that effort. The Holy Spirit residing in me does not take over my life. I have to yield my life to the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, in a way, it's kind of a partnership, even though God's supposed to be in control. And that's the battle. We've got to go from what we learned before or in living in the world. And now after we become a believer, it says God tells us that he makes us brand new. He regenerates us into this new being. But we got all that old stuff that still hangs around. And our uh, normal mode of operation is to go with what we know. And we kind of tend to drift back into old sins and those kind of things that we know. We're comfortable with those. So that feels like home to us. But God wants to push us out into a new area. And he's saying... We've got to just get after it. Here's where I want you to go, and I'll get up off the couch and get after it. That's what he's saying there. Also, when he says supplement, to supplement your faith, this, this is really meaning uh, when he's talking about the, 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 your own power, your own force that you're bringing to the table. He's, he's not saying uh, just add a little bit to it. He's just saying you need to bring more than what is demanded or whatever action that God wants you to take. You need to be supplying more than what is needed in the energy you bring to trying to follow God. It's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, like Thanksgiving. You know when you get your plate for Thanksgiving and you start with the turkey and then you get the mashed potatoes and you, the, the plate's always huge. It's always a lot bigger than what a normal meal would be to you for you, right? And, and we just do it. That's just the way it is, you know, Thanksgiving. We just overdo it, right, that day, and we eat too much. Well, that's really the kind of energy that God's saying to bring. He's saying, bring, get, get behind it. The force that you're going to apply to learning, to following me, in, these, in all these other areas, bring more than enough. Bring all that you have. Do everything as if you were doing it for Christ, and that's really what you're doing. And then... After you bring all that energy to the table, all that force, God is going to back it up with His power. He's going to bring what He can do, which is what? Everything and anything that you need done in your life so that you can grow and you can come to know more of Him. You get to experience more of God in your life. And so that's something that you can never get on your own. So if I just bring my little bit of uh, puny power to the table and try to, try to work it out on my own, it ain't going to happen. But when I rely on God, he's, he's, God's kind of re- waiting for us to step out and say, okay, I'm ready, God, I'm going to do this. Even though I don't know how to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm trusting in you, I'm going to step out. And then God says, great, bam, and he hits you with the power of the Holy Spirit that you need to get through that part in your life. And it's not this huge list. See, these things that we're going to talk about here as we break this down, it says add to supplement, to to add this power or force uh, to your faith and to uh, your knowledge and self-control and all these we are going to go through here, 
It's, it's not a list of get this done and then go on to the next one, get this done and go on to the next one. The idea really is that in the exercise of, of working something out in one area, you're going to experience growth in other areas too. So it's not a big, big, huge list of things that you've got to get straight before God can work with you. It's God saying, look, here's where we're going. All right? I want you just to be putting your own force behind it. That means if you've got to get up early to be with God, get up early. If you've got to stay up late to be with God, then stay up late. Don't let other things get in the way of that. It's, it's, it's kind of like making God a priority and then following through with it. All right. So we're to supplement, meaning bring more to the table than really was what needed, uh, the, the power or the force that we need. So uh, in our faith, uh, we're, we're supposed to uh, bring virtue. And that's really this power word again, virtue. Uh, virtue, in the version we got here, it says moral excellence. It says uh, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Well, that word uh, virtue uh, could be translated as moral excellence. But really the, the word is this power word again. Effective force, power of potency. This, this virtue, uh, if you look in the, in the dictionary, it's power is actually another way to, to uh, translate this word, and that's really what it means. So in your faith, bring your power to the table, your force behind uh, pursuing after God. And in our uh, virtue, in your virtue, you will develop Knowledge. So as you get excited about, as you get after learning about God, we need to learn what the Bible says about God. We need to learn what the Bible says about how we are to live our lives. That knowledge is key to uh, being able to recognize when somebody's teaching falsely. Remember, that was a big problem that Peter was addressing. If somebody's teaching the wrong thing and wants you to follow the wrong thing, and you know what right is, you can say, hey, that's wrong. I ain't doing it. I want to do what God said here in his word. So we got to have that knowledge. Now, we don't want to focus on knowledge to the point of making knowledge the end. Knowledge is not the place where we're trying to go. Knowledge is going to be used in our life to help build us up, to help transform us into the very image of Christ. Knowledge, see, what happens a lot of times in churches, we will have a, a Sunday school or a small group or a community group or whatever you call it, and we just sit there and we want to be fed. Somebody feed me. You know, feed me, Seymour, that plant. All he wants to do is eat. Look, you don't, knowledge on its own is worthless unless you apply it into the community, into your life. If you are living a godly life based on what you're learning about God, you are going to be a lamp for other people who don't know him. See, the very people that God's waiting on for him to come closer to him, you're going to be luring them in because they're going to look at you and say, there's something different about you. What is it? And you say, well, I know about God. I've got knowledge about God. And I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to work it out in my life. And here's what he's done in my life for me. See, a lot of people get freaked out about sharing Jesus, you know, because we've done it through different, you know, you got to have these verses memorized and you got to do it this order and all that stuff. There, that works and it's good stuff. But nobody can say anything about how you share your personal experience with God. They can't say that that's wrong because you experienced it. It's what God did in your life. 
It's how, how, he show, how he shows himself to you, and you just share what you, hey, this is, this, is, this is how I met Jesus. This is what he did in my life. I used to be like this, and now I'm like this. And it wasn't anything that I did, but it was God that worked that out of me. See, that's what happens with knowledge. That's what should happen with knowledge, not so that we feed ourselves and just sit around fat, fat dumb, and happy. So, in our, as we bring this energy, this force to the table, we get knowledge about God that, that we want to become experiential knowledge. But it starts off as, as book knowledge. And in, in our knowledge, as we learn more, we will be able to control ourselves more. We will get more self-control. Okay? So our self-control, again, it says self-control. It's how much I can keep myself from doing. On my own, I can be pretty good for a little while but not for very long. See, I'm like Peter. At least like Peter used to be. I'm always messing things up. See, I can have self-control, but if I bring, if I'm really seeking after controlling myself, and, and this self-control is in the area of uh, passion, of uh, maybe uh, sexual desires and that kind of thing, is what he's specifically referring to. If I can... Uh, if I can get control of my mind and my thoughts, if I can get control of my actions and what I view in movies or on the Internet, uh, I can do that pretty well uh, on my own for a little while. But you can't even watch regular old TV anymore without getting a Victoria's Secret commercial to pop up in front of you, and now you've got problems, all right? Or maybe, maybe you do, maybe you, maybe you don't struggle with it, but it's tough out there. And he's going to address that in a little bit, but that self-control... Is, is, again, the Holy Spirit's power coming behind your own uh, energy that you're trying to work this out in your life, and you will be successful as long as the Holy Spirit's power is you're working with the Holy Spirit on this. If you go it on your own, you're going to fall. You're going to stumble at least once, if not more often. So we've got, that's, that's what we're talking about here. So as our knowledge develops, as, as we learn more about what God thinks about these things, our passions, our sexual desires, and how we're supposed to live that out, then we will be able to apply that in our lives. In our lives, again, not, showing, not pointing at somebody else and saying, this is what's wrong with them, but saying, this is what's wrong with me, and then working that out, and let God work that out in your lives. All right, what's next? Let's see, we've got knowledge and self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. See, this is, perseverance is really, the picture is that when somebody's under testing, when somebody's under trial, things in their lives. Do it in a way that honors God. Persevere. And the idea is not only just to bear up under a beating, but to actually fight back. So wherever it is you're struggling in your life, you bring what you can bring to the table to say, I'm fighting against this. It may be... uh, it may be uh, porn, it may be alcohol, it may be drugs, it may be power, it may be pride, it may be food, it may be anything that's kind of taking control in your life. And you're going to, what God is saying is, as you develop self-control, because of the knowledge that you've developed, you're going to persevere. And you're going to, as long as you keep working together with the Holy Spirit, you will become more and more successful at persevering under the tests and under the trials that will come your way. See, this following Jesus thing is not about, oh, he's just going to take all the problems away and everything's going to be hunky-dory. That is not the case. It's tough. It's tough. 
And we need the Holy Spirit in our lives with His power helping us to persevere, to fight back after those things that are going to be tests and trials to us. In our perseverance, we're supposed to get godliness. The idea here really is our reverence uh, for God, our trust for Him, our uh, respect for God. As we develop this knowledge, this self-control, this perseverance, we just get transformed into more and more like Jesus. And we look more and more godly to other people, especially to people who aren't already followers of Jesus. And so even though you know that you don't have it all together, as God's working this out a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time in your life, and helping you to resist the things that are dragging you back down into your old ways, and you persevere, you develop this godliness. And because you're seeing God, you're experiencing God's power in your life day after day, week after week. You get up to a trial. You don't think you're going to make it. You think you're going to break down. And then God's Holy Spirit pushes you through that. You're victorious. And now you've just got greater confidence in God. And it shows in your life. So you become more godly as a result of this. All right? So you're trusting. You're really trusting God more and more because of the experience of Him working more and more in your life. See, it's, just, it's this growth that occurs in all these areas kind of simultaneously based off of whatever it is God wants you to work on. In our godliness, we're to, we're to develop brotherly kindness. The word here is phileo. It's a, word, a Greek word uh, for love, and it's for brotherly love. You know, this, what is it? Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? That's where that, that's where that comes from. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a love but, you know, like in, in America here, we use love for everything, whether you love a cheeseburger or whether you love Jesus, right? In Greek, it's a different word. So this love here we're talking about is brotherly affection, like, like what you would have for a brother or sister. It's really an affection for people, especially people of the same faith, but it, it, it grows into affection for people in general, I think. And even though you may have been burned, by somebody, you know, I think just about everybody who spent a little bit of time in church has a bad experience uh, one way or another with some other person in the church. Because whenever you get people involved, things are going to get messed up. It's just the way it is. We're not perfect. You know, we're striving for perfection, but nobody's made it. And everybody's got a story of something that's happened to them as a result of relationships that we have in, in church. Um, if you haven't, it'll happen. You know, there'll be a misunderstanding or, uh, or something will happen. And, and, and the thing here is people are people and we make mistakes. And if we can just uh, agree to disagree sometimes and, and, and to move on and not let it blow up into something it doesn't need to be, if we would have this kind of a brotherly uh, love, this kind of affection for other people, we wouldn't focus on one or two little things that kind of irritate uh, you about somebody, you, you would be focusing on, on them as a person and a person that God loves. And that brotherly uh, affection, that brotherly kindness would, would kind of take over when you really want to smack them around a little bit or something like that because of what happened. It's, it's a development of this love, this affection for other people. Um, I know that's hard sometimes because trust comes involved in that. How can I trust 
people in this area when I've been burned before. And God says, I'll help you. I got the Holy Spirit living in you if you're a believer. And he's going to show you how to trust people because even though, now, I say trust people, but really you're trusting God. You're trusting God to work in your heart to get you through whatever that situation is, wherever you got burned, and you're going to let him kind of take over that and not let your emotions kind of rule that. And you will continue to have brotherly love for the people. Your brotherly uh, love, your brotherly kindness will uh, then expand into love. And this is pure love. This is agape love. This is the kind of love that God has for us. It's, it's, uh, it's no strings attached, and it's the fullness of the love that God has for all of us. See, as we develop in all these different areas, we are then going to be capable sometime in our life to have a pure God-like love for other people. And it's a process. See, it's, this love really is, is not, we are not capable of this kind of love on our own. It's, it's impossible for us to do it. We are only capable of this kind of love when the Holy Spirit is in charge, in control of our lives, and we're following the Holy Spirit. That's where we're going. That's where God has taken us. He says, work this out in your life. Just go after it. And I'll be there right alongside you every step of the way, and I'll show you how to get there. Why? Why do we need to develop all this? Well, let's, look, let's keep reading. Verse 8. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Productive and useful. That's what knowledge is supposed to get, make us. Not just have a big head full of a bunch of stuff that we could rattle off at any given moment and look like we know a lot, but actually be doing more in your life as a result of it. This fullness of life that God wants to give us is about action. It's about people. It's about relationships. It's about uh, connecting with others. It's about connecting with God. It's about seeing the fullness of God, the power of God, the very power that created everything in heaven and on the earth alive and working in our lives. And that's, where, that's why we need to do it. That knowledge will help us to grow. Again, a process throughout the whole rest of your life as you become a believer, God works this out. But those, verse 9, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed of their own sins. Forgetting would be just the opposite of what Peter started out talking to us about, right? He started out saying, remember, but some people will forget and they'll fall away from the faith. Some people will forget and they'll drift back into their own sins. You look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. It talks specifically about this. It says, And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove this proverb, A dog returns to its own vomit. That's a pretty picture, isn't it? First, I kind of chuckled uh, about that, too. I was like, you know, that's kind of gross. Dog returning to its own vomit. I've seen that. I've seen a dog do that. It's not very pretty. But then if you think about it, who's he talking about here? He's talking about people. And now God says, put a face of a loved one on that person. 
your husband or your wife, your children, some relative, some friend that you love, and think about them going back to their own vomit. Because what is vomit, really? It's, it's, uh, this is a weird conversation, right? Vomit is, your body's expelling something that it don't want in there, isn't it? It's saying, get this out of me. I don't want it in here anymore. It all comes out. That's kind of the way we are when we fall back into our old sin. We can experience God. We can establish a relationship with Him. But when we choose our old ways over God, we don't uh, we don't want to we don't want to have to do the hard stuff. We don't have to want to have to put that energy uh, into that relationship with God, and we end up going back to our old ways. I've done it. I've done it. And what I found is most times when I've failed here, when I've gone back to my old ways, is when I've secluded myself. Most times is when I said I can do this on my own. And as soon as you say that. You're not working with the Holy Spirit anymore. And as soon as you say that, you won't take any help from the other people that are in the church around you. Because God, if you look back in Acts and throughout the the whole history of the people here in the Bible, they never did anything alone. God never set it up for people to be on their own. It was always to be in community with others, with other believers, so that you could be encouraged, so that you could be uplifted, so that you could help... They could help protect you, even from yourself sometimes. So when you wanted to go back, if you had a relationship with somebody that you could go to them and say, look, I'm really thinking about just going getting blasted tonight because I can't take it anymore. Life's just coming down on me. There's so much going on, and I need some help. But we don't have those kind of relationships. We don't want to have those kind of relationships because, we're I don't know, we are just ashamed sometimes that we desire that more than we desire God. But those are the kind of relationships we need to have because God doesn't, he doesn't want you to work any of this out on your own and he's given you the Holy Spirit, but he's also given you those other people that he wants you to be in close contact with because he knows, he knows it's tough. He knows it's tough for us. And he wants us to be in community to work this out. Verse 10, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you, that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Now, I used to be a weather forecaster in the Air Force, and one of the rules was you never use never and you never use always because something was always going to happen. See, this is I'm saying <laughs> you never use never. That's kind of a weird rule, but as soon as you decided that it was never going to happen that way, it would happen that way and you'd be wrong. Or uh, vice versa. So, But here, God's saying, if you do these things, if you work on these things, if you bring your energy and your power that you can do to get, get after God, to try to follow God, He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. As long as you trust in Christ and Christ alone as your Savior for forgiveness of sins, you've got, the, you've got God's power. You've got His power working with you to get this done. And you've got the other people around you that He's going to give you in the, in the church. How do we do this here? It's called community groups. We've got a lot of people that are interested in doing community groups. Uh, we have uh, probably 50 or 60 people that said they're interested in getting started. The problem we have is we don't have a lot of people who are interested in leading a community group. Leading a community group, community group means that you are 
you don't know everything that's in the Bible. That's not a requirement because uh, there wouldn't be any of us that would be able to lead a community group then. You don't have to have uh, 37 pages of Scripture memorized. We've got the book. We can look it up. You don't have to have been to seminary. You don't have to have really anything, but maybe a little bit of affection for people. And if uh, you're a believer, God's going to help you with that. We just, we just read that, didn't we? What we need is people who are willing to step in there and say, look, I'm, I'm willing to try this. Because really all you're going to do when you meet is facilitate a discussion around some questions that we'll even give you to uh, help make that happen. Because if we don't have enough groups, there's going to be more and more people out there doing it on their own. And I know from experience that they're going to fail more often if they're on their own than if they're with other believers. So what I'm asking you to do today is to consider if you would be interested in leading a community group. If you are, I would like you to talk to me after this uh, out there at the hub uh, tables. And what I'm going to offer you is this. Let's, you and me meet, and my wife, she's involved in this too, even though she didn't know it until just now. No, I told her. You, we're going to meet for the next four to six weeks, and we're going to try it out together. What does it mean to be a group leader? We'll do it together. And it'll be a safe environment. We'll do some training. We'll, we'll actually do some group stuff together. And then uh, at the end of that four to six weeks, uh, let's see if you're not ready to do that, to start our group on your own, because we're going to have another group link uh, starting beginning part of September to start new groups. We can't have new groups unless we've got new leaders. Uh, it's not hard. It's not difficult. It takes about an hour and a half, two hours a week uh, to actually have the group, a little bit of time to prep if you're the leader, and uh, we're good to go. But it's important. It's important. If it wasn't important, I wouldn't be asking you to do it. As a leader, you will grow more and quicker in these things that we've just outlined today because God will be working in you first so you can help folks that are around you in that group to work that out in their lives as well. Not that you're perfect or anything like that. You don't put anybody up on a pedestal here. It's just that we need your help. So, again, see me after this. Uh, if you'd be willing to even just investigate it, even if you're not sure, let's investigate it for the next four to six weeks, meet together, and, uh, and see what you think about it. All right? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray... Uh, really a, a prayer that, that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. And, and that is, uh, it fits right in with what we're talking about here, that God would uh, give us uh, or show us how to use everything he's already given us. So let's pray. Father, creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from your glorious and unlimited resources, you'll empower us with inner strength, inner strength through your spirit that Christ will make his home in all our hearts and that we'll trust him. Pray, God, that your roots will grow down into us developing your kind of love, your perfect agape love, and that you would keep, keep us strong, keep, keeping us strong in you. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. God, let us experience the love of Christ, though it's really too great for us to understand. Make us complete. 
Give us the fullness of life that only comes from the power that you give us through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.